You were telling me you had a funny fucking uh, a Huck story. Yes, it's not. It's not a Huck. It's something that he well, not a Huck made story, me aware yeah, of. Right. Yes, and it's something. This was like two months ago, mm-hmm. and the worst thing I think doing this show is like under normal circumstances. Yeah, call yeah. Rick immediately. <laughs> right. Um, but now and I'll pick up. I got nothing else to do. Right, and I but then I just keep forgetting and I keep forgetting and um, but yes, the Huck story. So uh, a little context for the audience: Huck is a, a documentary subject. Mm-hmm. Um, that I worked with ten years ago. He's a, a self-described ago. hobo. Yes, train, train hopper from Alabama. Yes, I dropped out of college to go train hopping with him, and um, which was a sound decision at the time. It was a sound decision now. Yes, still work in progress. The mm-hmm. film, but uh, anyways, he, him, and I've been talking more because um, he's going to come through Chicago, and he was, um, he, he's. So he's a jokester, right? Oh, yeah. And he was talking about me being named in an NBC lawsuit for being racist. Which, like, how, how would he find that out? That's the thing. Well, like, your name as a Google alert or something? Well, uh, well I don't imagine that's... he's got a fucking iPhone or anything. No, he does, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He's a, oh. he's a big tech guy. He's probably <laughs> had a smartphone longer than I have. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I... I was, you know, when I know he's fucking with me, my, my first thought is like, okay, where is the punchline? Like, right. what? let me figure this out before he does. Yeah. It's sort of the game. And I, I I couldn't figure out what what the joke was, and then he sends me um, this was a lawsuit um, between a guy who was an extra okay. on Chicago Med. Uh, we love the extras. We love them, yeah. And my first season there, as you know, I was in charge of the extras. I was mm-hmm. the production assistant in charge of background. The Wrangler, as it were. The Wrangler, yes. Being in charge of forty adults, um, you know, a drunk. 21 year old uh, <laughs> wrangling around all of these kids. So yeah, there was a guy there who had no friends. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Cause he was, he was, he was one. He's a professional. He's all business. He's not there to hang out. Right. He was one who's like, this is going to be my big break. <laughs> I, they are going to notice me and what a great background actor I am. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is, I'm going to break into it's, the industry. I'm going to write my own fucking ticket, which has never happened as being a, cause he was, what was he? A, he, he was a, he like a doctor or he, a, yeah, he was a doctor, right? He was a doctor and every once in a while we, you know, Hey, we need an extra patient, you know, dress him up as a patient. And that yeah. always rubbed him the wrong way. Right. He's like, no, I'm a doctor. <laughs> it's like, no, you're not. Um, and this, even doctors in real life have to go to the hospital from time to time. Like they get sick or break their fucking arms. Like, yes. Doesn't add up. Right. But always on that show amongst the extras, there has been like a lot of racial tension, right? Cause we either have, you know, most of the folks who come, it's either, you know, people here from the South Side who are just like looking for a job or looking to like work on television. And something they're usually stable. like actual, actual nurses too sometimes, Yes, right? actual nurses on their days off uh-huh. or retired nurses. And then we have also like life, wine moms. life wine moms who have been like nurses for, you know, their entire lives. Oh, they're driving in from the suburbs. You'd think they'd be able to commiserate over the shared act of nursing. You would hope so. Right. But instead, it's a no, you don't do it the way we do it in Oak Brook. Yeah. And uh, anyways, a lot of tension. But anyway, there was this guy, Fred, black guy. Um, he had no friends. Right. Right. And probably because he wasn't a nurse right. or, or drunk. <laughs> right. And either of those would help. Yes. And he he um, I don't know. eventually after two years of, of, of putting up with him, um, he was eventually fired uh-huh. and took on an active lawsuit against NBC uh-huh. and named several employees directly <laughs> for um, one of whom was yourself. Yes. He claimed he was fired for ageism and he was like 50. 
That's right? not that old. Right, yeah. And uh, racism and sexism, right? Oh. We're, um, and uh, he... Yeah, yeah, curious. Anyways... Men just can't get a fair share in the film business, man. <laughs> right, you can't... We've been yeah, saying this. The film business, especially men, have especially, not seen yeah. their time. Mm-hmm. Um, men over 50, in fact, yeah. Right, anyways, this blew over a long time ago because like this guy was representing himself i remember him like dming me on That's facebook so uh after this had happened him sending me a link to his lawsuit uh-huh. right and just the message the shoe is about to drop it's <laughs> <laughs> like ah, okay so what was the beef exactly what well, was uh, his what did you do to him so as he tells it our problem was that he felt that he was slighted when i would I guess, put my foot down right. on certain things, right? Like what? And like, hey, I'm not going to work on my lunch shift just because you want to get out of here sooner. Right? Oh, like, I'm like not going to check him out or until whatever, lunch yeah. is over, right? Uh-huh. And um, he didn't like that, right? <laughs> um, but I was very well liked amongst, you know, not of just course, the crew, yeah. but the extras especially. Um, anyways, he, I forget about him for years, right? Mm. And then Huck messages me and I look up, he sends me this this lawsuit, right? And uh, it was a, a court transcript at mm-hmm. this point, right? Because the whole thing is said and done. Here's what he says in the case: um, such and such versus NBC Universal Media LLC. In his complaint, Nance describes workplace personality conflicts, general bullying, and insults exchanged on social media, but nice, he fails nice. to allege a connection between this harassment and his race. These allegations do not conform to the, to the traditional hostile work environment claiming that he does not allege that he was the target of any racial slurs, epithets, or overtly race-related behavior. Okay, here we go. This is where So what? It- I'm addressed here. So further, Nance adds that he allegedly harassed, that, that the allegedly harassing employees did not harass any other African-American extras on set. Additionally, Nance conceded in his deposition that the harassment principally flowed from the production assistant, Tanner Masseth, and that Masseth was rude to extras of all races equally. <laughs> <laughs> a quote from him it didn't matter what color because he didn't he did it to everybody you know well then what the fuck is your argument man if you, what is, you can't sue somebody for being a dick the idea that like his case came down because he said i was a dick to everybody that's so funny yeah equal opportunity jackass i just love like that is a certain archetype of a person who's just litigious by nature but then just the minute anybody asks a single question, pushing back just fucking crumbles and is like, well, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, he's not he's not a bad guy. He's not racist or anything, but I'm suing him for being a bad racist guy. Well, that's the thing. Like of the, you know, to defend myself a little bit here. You know, oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. Know then, why do you think we have this fucking podcast? <laughs> just, to, you know, various lawsuits of the seven years on that show. I very few people there who do not like me and those who do deserve um, it. Yeah, our producers on the show. Right, yeah. Because um, I would embarrass <laughs> them. Um, but yeah, I thought that, I immediately thought of you. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> that is that, amazing. Like, part of his dismantling of the case was him saying that I'm mean to everybody. Uh-huh. That is very funny that like, because on one hand, it's like, oh no, people are going to Google my name and it's going to come back this like racial discrimination <laughs> right. lawsuit. So that's probably bad. It's always really funny to say, like, yeah, I'm going to defend myself. Like, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to spend years working on this case. And I'm going to, I'm going to be my own lawyer. And immediately yeah. you just, <laughs> just torpedo your Well, case. what you got to do is show up to defend yourself in court. Yes. So like what, what happens now? Like, I think that just disappears. 
So he just, what, does right. he realize he doesn't have a case or his lawyer was like, hey, you fucked yourself on the, like, day one. Yeah. Like, go I mean, be an he extra was, on another show. Who knows what he, he's probably not, he's probably blacklisted all over the city. He's probably a real doctor right now. Right. <laughs> yeah. He learned everything he needed to know. I remember, so a lot of the, the uh, cop extras are real, right? Okay. It's easier to have real cops come because they bring their own belt and shit and uh, <laughs> their own belt yeah well you know and all, all the gear <laughs> no, on it they bring the pepper right, spray just, they bring the I, six guns I understand guns that there's <laughs> things attached to the belt it's just funny to imagine yeah. the most recognizable <laughs> thing with the cop is a belt, it's a belt. I would go yeah. gun handcuffs badge well we don't want them to bring their guns we've had, had cops bring their real guns We're like what are you really? doing like get it out of here yeah that's probably not good but one of these guys sort of a rough who really had it out for Fred he was like uh, um, he told me that he looked him up at work. Really? On the police computer. Oh, oh shit. Okay. <laughs> I was Fuck. Like, you can do that? And said that he would like gone to jail for like 10 years for no way. Like, I forget what it was. I, I, I almost just said he killed his wife, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Medical years. malpractice pretending to be a doctor yeah. <laughs> on his wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was so funny, like how like everyone had just turned on this guy. That is funny. To where the police officers are just using what police Google, whatever police Google is they mm. use where you can just find out everything. <laughs> police Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would that call? Oink, oink, go. Is that what they call it? Oink, oink, go. <laughs> <laughs> you like that? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Was that succinct enough? I think so. Uh, yeah. I think um, it sucks because it's just, there's a lot of background you got to get out of the way. It uh, Yeah, it, it does suck. And like, even as I was, Doing the abridged version, I'm like, fuck, this would make more sense if I gave this. But, like, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't. Anyways. Hmm. Not a bad intro. But, okay, so we were going to do an episode with a guest. And uh, they decided not to show. They fucked us. Um, you'll you'll find out. We won't use his name, but you'll find out because he'll be on next episode. Yeah, he'll know. And um, and you'll know. Yes, he'll but, know um, when he listens to it's us. It's going to be that... good. We were going to talk about movies. We were going to riff. <laughs> we were going to make insightful comments about the way movies uh, kind of are. Yes. And what they mean and how they are seen. Yes. Um, um, but, gonna... but, but we should tease a little bit. It's, we're going right. to do an episode with, with Nick Vysotsky on Prisoners. Prisoners. Be 2013 prisoners. starring... Jake Gyllenhaal, who I love. Oh, I'm. You're gonna be so fucking pissed. I'm gonna talk about performances so much. Oh, when we you're do that, one. Hate it. <laughs> okay, great. I know that's like your pet peeve, and I don't know why, but that's I just fine. I no, can't we, wait. We can get into to it. Talk then. about performances. Yeah, it's be good. But yeah, we're talking about that sort of like through the lens of uh, Program to Kill. Um, yes, David Milgown's very grounded book that I'm sure everyone listening has the one read. One real red pill that exists. <laughs> so. Yeah, you're looking forward to that next week, That'll and be good, I, we're gonna kind of so we decided today it. because um, yeah, you know we fucked us like we said. <laughs> um, we're we, so we were, we've been talking a lot recently about David Lynch because when Tanner and I met, that was his favorite filmmaker by far, and I uh, this was a decade ago. Didn't really watch movies then, and so he was an easy person to be like, oh, here's this is what it means to be a filmmaker, like to have your own vision like an easily identifiable auteur. Mm -hmm. And so we're talking a lot about that and more recently how um, Tanner has been, in a word, disillusioned with Mr. Lynch and his career and um, specifically a lot of the stuff he's done with uh, Transcendental Meditation. And yeah. I will pass it over to you. Yeah. How has your brain been poisoned this week? <laughs> well, you know, I, I grew disillusioned with Lynch a long time ago. Okay, that's true. But um, but it's, it, it has manifested itself sort of, on the page lately. Right, to really dive in, you know, this was um, 
really, you know, spawned by years ago, uh, just watching a trailer for David Steve King's film, uh, David Wants to Fly, which was sort yeah. of the crux of the, the research for a lot of this TM stuff, which we're going to try and avoid because, fingers crossed, we're going to hope to have Mr. Yeah. Steve King Ong to talk about the film. Um, if you're listening to this. Yeah, it's Mr. Steve King. Uh, when, it, you know, when wake up hours are over in Germany. Oh, sure. Well, no, I, I, did, I didn't mean if he's listening to this. If you, some unhinged, unhinged <laughs> maniac on the Internet, wants to harass him, perhaps, and tell him about yes. the show. We'd appreciate that. Yes. Perhaps you live in, in the same town in Germany, in Bremen or wherever the fuck. Like, yeah. Show up. Yeah. You we're know, knock on the door. door. <laughs> Tell them about the show. Yeah. So we're going to stay away a little bit from the, the TM stuff. But essentially, I remember watching a trailer for this film of his, which is about him as a young filmmaker who's very, um, very drawn to David Lynch and inspired by him. Starts to do this project where he is... Uh, researching David Lynch's relationship with transcendental meditation. And lo and behold, he uncovers uh, a massive cult, <laughs> right? And, you know, one that is, I think, shares a lot, a lot of similarities with Scientology. And see, um, Lynch essentially, you know, he was very participated in the film initially, thinking it was going to be this great movie about TM. Right. And then ended up just fucking blackballing him, mm -hmm. suing him. Uh, or threatening to sue him. And uh, yeah, I think it adds, you know, some insight into like who David Lynch really is mm -hmm. outside of what I've called like the Oshucks routine. Right. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's sort of, you know, a guy who I think navigates, you know, who's made one strange film that no one really likes and a feature in the past 20 years has really gotten by <laughs> these past 20 years on his sort of cult of personality, mm -hmm. which I think is very, very cultivated. I think he's very, very aware of like who he is in sort of like the cultural landscape. Yeah. And, you know, this is a guy who like in the early two thousands had his own website, mm -hmm. right. Where he would appear and do weather reports and would appear at chat rooms pretending not to be him. And like, this is a guy really? who's very aware of his own image. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So, you know, but I think from the outside, people see him as like, oh, here's my grandfather who grew up in the 50s, who's just kind of like this kind of kooky outsider artist who made it big in the mainstream. Yeah. Right. Right. Someone who has fixations and interests that are, you know, typically would be considered outside of like, you know, mainstream entertainment. But because those movies are so captivating mm -hmm. and. You know, they've wormed their way in and now he's become this big, interesting personality. I think underneath that, in a very Lynchian way, right. is something like very, very sinister. Yeah, that um, that is, I think, I mean, I think what you said about like his output in the past 10, 20 years is, is very apt because, you know, for the, like people's public conception of, of Lynch. Yeah, like begins as he's just this Midwestern guy with this down home affect who mm -hmm. moved to Philadelphia and by the grit and determination became an auteur filmmaker. And I, you know, I don't disagree with that necessarily. Um, I think, you know, somebody had to do that. And that's part of the charm of that generation of filmmakers. But post, uh, I don't know, fucking Mulholland Drive, when he kind of goes a little gets a little quieter. And it's like, I you kind of just assume like, oh, what he's painting now. And that's how he's sustaining right. his media empire and, and keeping himself afloat. And you start to think about it. And then it's like, oh, well, that can't possibly be true. Like, 
don't know what DVD sales for Dumbland are like, but <laughs> they can't possibly be propelling him that much. Exactly. And, you know, you, you look at his career and you look at his net worth and something is not right. You know, yeah. even like before you even like realize how much money he's making off of his involvement in transcendental meditation yeah. via the David Lynch Foundation, mm-hmm. you look at his output and you look at his net worth, which is upwards of 50, 60 million dollars. Mm-hmm. And something is not right. Right. You know, and it literally doesn't add up. That, <laughs> not at all. Right. Um, you know, Lynch is someone who like was not really a, a cult name mm-hmm. until maybe seven, eight years ago. Right. Yeah, Twin, Pe- Twin Peaks had a revival. That's true. You know, obviously, you know, Twin Peaks was a big show and mm-hmm. his movies have won Oscars. But like he is not like occupied the sort of like God figure space that he mm-hmm. has now. Until like seven, eight years ago, which right. is kind of curious. I wonder what like, like cultural forces drove that. Because um, like you said, he hasn't really he's made two big projects since then. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's certainly not making money off of his music. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> for, for those. No, yeah, actually, he gets three grand every time he says what the weather is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> or it says the date on Friday. Right. But yeah, so those who don't know, he, he has a... Uh, you know, he's he's been an advocate for transcendental meditation for like 50 years now, I suppose. Wild. And he he first started doing it while he was making Eraserhead, claims it changed his life and has been doing it for a very, very long time. I believe that it has and that he believes all those things. Sure. Right. I believe that he thinks TM is actually like very, very good for him, good for people. Maybe he thinks it can bring in world peace like he says it does, but I think mostly at this point he is really motivated by the fact that he is, receives outrageous speaking fees from, you know, essentially yeah. not even from the Transcendental Meditation Organization. Like, you know, he is like, you can't separate him from that anymore. Like he is the Tom Cruise mm-hmm. of Transcendental Meditation, right? Yeah. And, you know, kind of what brought this project on was seeing, you know, after the... Um, announcement that his organization was donating $500 million, right? Mm -hmm. The David Lynch Foundation was going to give $500 million um, to bring about world peace. And I remember a lot (laughs) of people were like, where the fuck did he get $500 million, right? Absolutely, yeah. And then also like, well, what is he going to do with that? Like the whole thing, you know, like nothing about it passes the smell test really. And when you look at, so the, the TM organization, I by my best estimates after like, you know, really digging into this past couple of weeks, their, their assets are probably like five, six times that of Scientology. No shit. Which is insane. Really? Yeah. You know, we think of Scientology as being like, that, like the that worst all cult. Be all right? of that <laughs> yeah. kind of like shady. Money. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting. I wonder like why Scientology has gotten such like a, a <laughs> Yo, big Scientology low key fell off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, Scientology, like, like, Content about Scientology has become like its own market. I like, think that's was, the problem. That's why Will Smith went crazy, kind of. Yeah. Like, so is he a Scientologist? I mean, yeah, right? Isn't he? I guess I, I don't know. I remember when I first he's heard always that, second like, billing to Tom Cruise, obviously. But but does, he, does he go like speak it about it? Yeah, yeah. Pull that shit up. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just to give people an idea of you know the 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 reach and success of. Transcendental meditation, which has been around about the same amount of time as Scientology has, mm-hmm. you know, obviously meditation has been around for a very long time, but 
specifically transcendental meditation didn't really come out until the sixties when it was popularized by, you know, uh, particularly the Beatles um, uh -huh. pushing it in the West um, and just generally like a big push in the West to like look for Eastern solutions to, you know, societal ailments. And um, here you had a kooky Indian guru saying, Hey, if you do this for 20 minutes, twice a day, um, it can bring you happiness, but also bring world peace. And as the years have gone on, the claims have gotten just more and more outrageous. You know, that video that you asked, yeah. what the fuck are they doing with their legs, you know, crossed when uh -huh. they're hopping? It's like, well, it's called Vedic flying. It's supposed to be an advanced transcendental meditation or technique. Or something? Like, yeah, like yeah, right. And um, yeah, to the point toward now, the idea is that we can bring in world peace by, you know, setting a couple permanent 10,000 um, member groups of transcendental meditations, like advanced members who are in a space meditating and that will have mm -hmm. a, a global impact and usher okay. in world peace. And so this $500 million that he's donating is meant to open three different universities of 10,000. Right now there's a Maharishi University in India mm -hmm. and there's one in Fairfield, Iowa, which I will be going to over Memorial Day weekend, actually. Um, Why there? I don't know. Did they get a tax write-off or something? I, I don't know. But the, the the town of Fairfield is really small, and it's just like half of it is this university and wow. this Vedic city. That's it's, interesting. It's very strange. I'll have to show it to you on a map. It's, it's yeah. weird. I, I'm excited to go. So it looks like, I think it's a, a Jada thing, this ah. is Scientology. It's, so I'm looking at, uh, I got a combination Wikipedia and New York Post source here uh -huh. that I guess when... We were filming Collateral, which, you know, cool movie. Um, was was Jada Pinkett Smith in Collateral? Not that I remember. It says after meeting Tom Cruise during the filming of Collateral, Pinkett Smith and Will Smith donated $20,000 to the Hollywood Education and Liter Literacy Program, Scientology's basis for homeschooling. Uh -huh. So that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that... Um, I don't know. There's like they, there actually isn't anything about Scientology on Will Smith's page, so I, uh, I take it back. You know, no, I don't. Actually. No, no, we'll, know, leave, I don't we'll leave it. In. Yeah, Scientology. Maybe uh, that's a, that's interesting. Like that's another parallel with with TM is that they're trying to, um, get into schools like uh, yeah. elementary schools. And Transcendental race theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Um, but yeah, anyways, don't unpack that. Wait. I don't know what that means. I'm not trying to be <laughs> subversive, really. I think. <laughs> but we should we should associating we'll, we'll, words is crazy. Right. I love it. <laughs> makes me makes me makes me laugh. But yeah, we should we'll stay away from the that's just some background yeah, on the We're not gonna the, get too into it today stuff. because it's we want this to be like a semi-recurring thing because there's a ton of shit to talk about with David Lynch and like his you know, his movies I are good still. Uh -huh. I mean that that's the sort of thing that I, I think something that we talk about a lot on this podcast is like yes. just because a guy is bad doesn't mean his movies can't be cool. Right. And you know what? And actually watching those movies with that in mind, uh make those certain creative choices like very, very interesting. Absolutely and peculiar. Um like when you see I one of my favorite memories is of of you guiding me into film criticism was sitting down to watch Blue Velvet and then you pointing to me, every time something was blue. On no, that was, you. <laughs> that was oh, you. Oh, yeah, I, I made that smart choice, actually. Yeah. So when you saw something blue, you know that it means... You see that? It's a reference to the title. Yeah. And about how... Um, Rick picked up on, like, semiotic language. 
I'm really great with early. images, yeah. honestly, and yeah. associating them with stuff. And um, no, I don't know. Like, because one of the things that, and wh- what I'm about to say, I have no basis for. So this is a big uh, if. I'll let, I'll let it fly. Yeah, right. But like, <laughs> I I remember reading because he put out a few years ago, like a joint memoir slash autobiography slash regular biography where it was billed as like a book that he was going to write about himself and his career. But because his mind works the way that it does, they had to like anchor a like actual professional writer to it. And they got like some music journalist or someone, this lady who I, you know, knew what she was doing in a way that he didn't when it came to writing books. And I forget the name of it, but basically the structure was he would do one chapter and then she uh-huh. would do one chapter and his chapters would all be like very free form, loose, like talking about his life and his career and influences. And then after that chapter was over and you realize you learned absolutely nothing about him, <laughs> then they brought in this lady to kind of tell you like what, like where he grew up and like what, like the meat and potatoes basically. And um, one of the things that struck me most about reading that book was like, like the different relation, like personal relationships, romantic relationships he had throughout the course of his life and how, which just seemed to me like very rife for improper power dynamics. Um, And it is my theory that one of the big bubbling hashtag me two cases out there that is yet unresolved is David Lynch, because you just read about the way this guy works and like how he used to be this like young, handsome, like, titanic auteur and the pe- people on set would just fall in love with him but then he would kind of like get grow disinterested or i don't know it's just i this is a theory of mine and i obviously i, you I think know, you should accuse him <laughs> <laughs> I, I it does not yet skew the way i look at him because like, completely unsubstantiated but right. you start reading about that and you're just like damn there's might be i don't know because like that that is that is the kind of the premise of those me too cases is like person in power wields that power improperly to get something that he thinks he wants out of a usually a young girl who thinks she needs something or wants something else and and i don't think it's predatory necessarily but i think it's just because he is the the brand um in a sense of his own like you know creative enterprise and fucking like transcendental meditations circus or whatever um I don't know. This is a very well, free form explanation. It's a, th- there is it's there's funny, a lot to talk about. Yeah, well, two things. Point. It's funny you said it because there's been numerous, numerous cases. Because I, I actually don't think David Lynch has anything like that underneath. I mean, it's um, it'd, it'd be crazy to imagine knows. it hasn't been. It, it it would have been kept under wraps this long, right? But there is uh, numerous cases of things in in transcendental meditation where you know a young student or even a yeah. teacher. You know, being raped by, mm. you know, a Raja or an advanced teacher and then yeah. just everyone above covering it up. But it's funny you say that, though, because like while I don't like share that suspicion of Lynch, I do. There was a um, prior to the return coming out, mm-hmm. the uh, the guy who plays the dwarf. Right. Um, okay. Michael something douglas michael douglas yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes short short actor michael douglas he um he he had posted so he's like really active on facebook right 
Which he, Michael Douglas or the other guy? No, the other guy. Okay. Um, Vern Troyer. Vern. Tro- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Active redditor Vern Troyer. <laughs> he, um, <laughs> we have fun, don't we? <laughs> well, now I'm just thinking of like a like an Austin Powers four. Where, oh yeah. Where Michael Douglas is Doctor Evil and, and the fucking dwarf. <laughs> oh, it's, it's Danny DeVito, and he's like, "Hey, asshole." <laughs> It's I'm Michael Douglas. <laughs> no, but anyway, he so he has gotten like really into the weeds, you know, post Twin Peaks. Obviously, yeah. he's not getting a lot, a lot of roles. And um, I can't imagine he just so. spends a lot of time on Facebook and like reposting like info wars and shit. Oh, really? Which, OK, like, tight. Respect. Um, no, absolutely. <laughs> go, go ape shit. Fuck it. Right, I love it. Um, collect your Twin Peaks residual checked uh-huh. and uh, go live in the woods and get online. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, when it was announced that he was not going to be when it, well, when it became clear to him that he was not going to be returning to the show, uh-huh. he went on Facebook and made this huge long post about how David Lynch uh-huh. raped his daughter. Oh fuck! And how many elements from Twin Peaks were like autobiographical stuff from his life. Uh-huh. You know, there's there's the incest rape in, in Twin Peaks that oh God. actually happened and basically calling David Lynch a, a predator. Wow. <laughs> right. And so what what's interesting about that is that seems to strengthen my argument right? rather well, than yours. No. He walked it all back immediately and it became very clear that he posted this because oh, he was the, <laughs> because he was not hired. Like the second they said, Hey, actually they they can sue you if you're making shit up. He's like, Oh fuck. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um hey, sorry guys, forgot my meds. I'm crazy. Right. And it also was Buy like my shirts. It was also right in line with him like not being asked back. Yeah. Um to the show and it's funny because like it's i know you haven't seen the return but he's literally replaced by a cgi tree really that character yeah um which is so funny it's what a great arc a tree yeah instead of a dwarf it's a it's a tree with like a, a bulbous brain type thing on it why because well, he doesn't want to have a, a dwarf on set who's accusing him of raping his daughter. Well, no, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> why, is, why a fucking tree? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I try not to, to to intellectualize David Lynch, which I think is like <laughs> that's the wrong approach. I think a lot of people have with his movies <laughs> okay. is like I I need like they treat it like a puzzle. I need to figure oh, this sure. figure this movie out. Right. See that—that's my problem. Is like, like with, earlier when I made references to pointing out all the shit that's blue and blue velvet. Like yeah. that was really how I started. Like my, when I did not have a vocabulary for what, you know, auteur filmmaking was. Like that—that's just kind of where your head goes, especially if you, you know, grew up reading a lot of Thomas Pynchon and shit like that. It's yeah. Like, all right, well, what what little items can I put in my inventory to use later in the fucking game? Like, <laughs> right. But. Yeah, but that's really interesting. Like, well, I, it goes. Sorry, but go they, ahead. they they kept the big tall guy, right? Who was yes. in Men in Black? Yes, he's that there. makes sense because he's actually like a huge lib. Okay, you know who he's married to who Elizabeth Warren. Really? No, <laughs> I don't know. Finds your husband though. in the kitchen. He's supposed to be there. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is the best Trump tweet, and it's so funny now. Imagining like the giant just in the kitchen. <laughs> what is, I'm pulling it up. That's, that is the all time best Trump tweet. <laughs> the tweet is because it's it's her announcing her candidacy, right? Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, her drinking a beer in her kitchen, and she says to her husband, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Trump says, Go ahead, read it. You got it? So, oh, yeah. Uh, at real Donald Trump, this is uh, January 13th, 2019. Damn, time flies. Best line in the Elizabeth Warren beer catastrophe is to her husband. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. It's their house. He's supposed to be there. <laughs> like now imagining that with oh, the fucking perfect. giant is so funny. <laughs> I can't wait to have him back. That's going to be so good. Yeah. That Elon Musk shit's not going to happen, I think. But that I wish. Yeah. I almost wish it would. But, yeah. Um, but okay. So like. You were getting to an interesting point between I before I completely no, that's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm always happy to go back to a classic what, Trump tweet. That that's so. What is it about people's urge to decode? Well, and how is that the wrong way to look at the films of David Lynch? I think much like what we talked about with Casey when we were talking about um, Nicholas Winding Refn, mm -hmm. where I think Lynch operates in a similar way. Where he is not. <laughs> Close your laptop. It's still, the tab is still open. I can't keep seeing this fucking. Tweet. All right, all right. I, oh god damn it! I'm so sorry. <laughs> Let go. We're um. <laughs> god, there. Uh, th 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 I I don't think that Lynch. Lynch is not an intellectual, right? He is a an artist who I think works expressionistically you know the way he talks about gathering mm -hmm. ideas it is very much you could see how someone like him gets, <laughs> gets <laughs> I'm sorry, I <laughs> all right you gotta let it all out. i got it i got it oh man we're leaving this in I, you know what i honestly got it i was fucking i bust a nut trying to keep it in that's when you know it's a banger tweet. <laughs> like, <laughs> you've seen this tweet a dozen times and you're and still it's laughing. Still just, oh my God. All right, let me try to arrive at the point sooner. No, 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 I'm done. I got you it. Can, <laughs> you can see why someone like Lynch is, is like buying into the idea that mm -hmm. um, diving within by meditating allows you to catch ideas that will make you a a better artist, a more creative person. Because I think that is how he makes films is he, he gets these fixations and these images and these things that he's very excited by yeah. and just has a really, really good understanding of it as an artist. How do I put these together? Okay. Right. You know, I think no, of, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. I think of David Lynch as being like a, a great, like one of like cinema's like greatest, like poets, okay. right? His movies, like, I don't want to say they're not about anything, but they're not, I don't think they have a whole lot like uh, intellectually to say. There's, Rather, there's, there's a lot an, to pull from. Right. It's not like they're allegories necessarily. It. Yeah. You know, there are some things that I think like Lynch is obviously very interested in. Like, I think he's very interested in industrialization and oh, sure. like particularly like what he sees as like the masculinity of industrialization. Uh-huh. Um, and then he has sort of a, the morning of lost diner culture, which we feel very strongly. Yes. About. We feel very strongly about. Um, and, you know, so I think trying to solve Lynch's films like a puzzle is the wrong way to go about it. Right. Yeah. You know, because like what makes Lynch so interesting and so special for me mm -hmm. is that he 
he sort of created what I think is his own like visual language. Like obviously there's a lot of stuff that harkens back to like his influences and just like generally like what is acceptable in film language. Yeah. But something that's very telling was when Mulholland Drive came out and people were like, I don't get it. Right. And in the DVD sheet, he had these like 10 things. Here are 10 things like, like clues he called them. And uh-huh. I think a lot of people interpret that like, Oh, here's clues to like Solving unlock and understand this yeah. film. But like, Really, what it is is like these are. This is instead sort of like a. This is how you understand the visual language that I'm using, yeah. right? Like this is, I am communicating, ideas and narrative differently, mm-hmm. and, you know, sure you can get hung up on what part is a dream and what is not, and like yeah, some of that is important in terms of like I guess at least grasping the narrative, but most importantly, like try to understand you know something new that i'm putting forward and i think yeah. it's that people thought of it as like a, a codec of like okay this solves this and there are mm-hmm. endless like mulholland drive fan sites which is like okay let's solve the mystery uh-huh. but mystery is not supposed to be solved right? right and you know many people have derided him for you know being you know a famous critic once said like david lynch is great at getting inside your head he doesn't know what to do once you get there. Yeah, Armand White really kind of hit the right. <laughs> I wonder what Armand White thinks. But it's it's like, I think, you know, what that critic's really saying is, I didn't walk away with an answer. Like, Lynch yeah. never gave me an answer. And uh-huh. conversely, I think people maybe look too much I think that was Roger Ebert, wasn't an answer. No, Ebert was, like, offended by Blue Velvet, but I think ultimately had a very positive view of, of Lynch. Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was the opposite, because I, re- I remember... Because I I think he didn't like Lost or Wild at Heart or I but right, I think he kind of yeah. he figured out like once he got to Blue Velvet then he was like all right this is this is it which I I you know I don't necessarily disagree with although I think Wild at Heart's a lot more fun yeah definitely <laughs> you know? but um no I mean it's it is vibes really you know well, you know yeah if you want to put it simply vibes absolutely and that like I wonder it's interesting do do you think he made the decision to put the little ten commandments in there or yes, like 100 like yeah. him personally yes because that feels like like a studio thing almost right no but it's it's 100 him can even like it seems like a mistake those things are end up being tell it, they're I like guess. more cryptic yeah like one of them is oh. like pay oh, attention okay. to the coffee cups so they're like red herrings it's like what the fuck does that mean okay right well that's interesting too hmm. but um yeah i guess to kind of go back to yeah what it what he meant for me growing up was i think very much along this line of, of it being something new, right? You yeah. know, when I was a, in high school, um, when I really started getting into films, you know, I watched all of the, you know, the basic shit. You know, mm-hmm. you get really into Kubrick and you get really into, you know, whoever, and you watch all that shit and you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, I know what, um, I, I guess I know what good movies are, right? right. And you, you hit all like the big names of, you know, contemporary cinema and you just sort of, you know, you're going along your, your journey. And then I found a David Lynch. And mm-hmm. I remember watching on my, I think it was my 16th birthday. You know, you were on on YouTube. You can only upload 10 minutes at a time. Oh, sure. Someone yeah. had uploaded a racer head. <laughs> and I was like, damn. Like, it really, yeah. uh, like, blew me away mm-hmm. in a way that was like, yeah, I don't understand anything that's going on. But, like. You know, as a young kid who wanted to not just make films, but like also being in the town that I was in and also feeling kind of alienated, like wanting to find something that was like 
exciting me and something that I guess for me, Eraserhead said like, this is like, okay to do. You can make a living off making something yeah. very strange and uh -huh. against the grain, which is very funny given his financial situation when Eraserhead was made. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, to, to, to eventually like turn on who was, I, I guess I would describe him as probably like my first idol. Yeah. Growing up to uh -huh. sort of turn on him and then now make a series of videos deriding him as a snake oil salesman. Yeah. Uh, has been quite a interesting journey. Yeah. And I mean, th I don't, those things don't like contradict one another. No. Either, you know, like I still love Bruce Springsteen's music, even though he's been to, to Little St. James like a dozen times. <laughs> Has he really? No. Oh. But I mean, you know, if it was some but, shit like yeah, that, you right. know, um, until they build a turnpike down there, I suppose he'll probably not won't make his way right on the, on the boardwalk <laughs> right next to the fucking uh, the Egyptian temple or whatever. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, I, and I think that's just like, and it, plus it has a lot to do with what we talked about earlier, where I, I don't like he, he stopped producing in a sense. And I mean, do you think that's because he just is not interested in film anymore or like somehow the, the money and the the personal so, bureaucracy of the foundation has kind of eclipsed yeah. just his day to day or like what, where do you think it is coming from right now? So he's always shrugged it off, you know, when asked, Hey, you haven't made a film in X amount of years. Yeah. He'd be like, Oh, well I'm catching ideas for painting and music. Yeah. I guess I've always been inclined to believe that. I mean, it makes sense. Like, but, cause, cause you think of, of somebody like you, you you see the films of David Lynch and it is hard not to sit there and say, this is somebody who has ideas that beg to be told and needs to like express himself creatively. Mm -hmm. um, so for that to just stop, doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, like why is painting or photography or whatever, any different in terms of that expression, I guess. I mean, it's kind of, it's a bummer because we like movies and right. I like, paintings as much as movies <laughs> but um I but yeah guess but, but, but really... there is certainly a correlation in you know tm's like rapid growing empire and david lynch's declining film career and yeah you know by extension his availability of free time to like constantly uh -huh. go out and chill and you know yeah. speak at maharishi university next to jim carrey and <laughs> i mean and he's had a bunch of you know prior to the latest season of Twin Peaks coming out, he would have like festivals where like all of the proceeds would go to the David Lynch Foundation. Yeah. Right? You know, Moby's coming and playing guitar and like mm, he's coming to play for free because he likes TM also. And like all of this money is just like getting funneled into the David Lynch Foundation. Ugh. And then meanwhile, you know, when David Lynch Foundation says, hey, we're giving $500 million away. It's just going back into TM. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he can say it's solving the Ukraine crisis, but it's, it's just going back into transcendental meditation. It is. It's so funny how like half-assed that laundering of idea is. It's like, Oh, what well, it's just $500 million going to solving world peace. Yeah. Like but you didn't even try. No, you yeah. didn't try to dress it up. Right. And that's, you know, that's sort of been the theme behind like, cause, well, but, but then you hear that and you're like, well, maybe it is going to solving world peace. I guess. <laughs> They well, wouldn't just say it if it was. I'm a looking lie. forward to world peace. Yeah, time. <laughs> you know, I, Pelosi's in Ukraine right now. Maybe she'll sort yeah, it out. She's probably meditating. Maybe she'll get hit by a fucking ICBM. That'd be good. <laughs> um, one of the two. It'd be. I hope the first one, not the second one. But yeah, definitely not the second one. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, that's 
the David Lynch thing is going to come back a lot. Like I'm sure we'll talk more about movies specifically. Yeah. Because like the other really interesting thing about his work to me is like how radically different all of his movies are in some way. Like Eraserhead obviously is supremely different than fucking Elephant Man, which is also supremely different than Dune. Mm -hmm. And then eventually he kind of almost seems to find his like stride with, um, you know, Wild at Heart, Lost Highway, um, Blue Velvet, and then eventually Mulholland mm-hmm. DR. Yeah. <laughs> Mulholland Doctor. Yeah. But but then you have like that the tractor movie. What's that called? Straight story. What yeah, what's the deal with that? Um I mean, I guess it's just something it's funny because he always he gets asked that question a lot, obviously. And he's always just like, yeah, well, it's not that different from my other films. And I just, you know, I really yeah. like the script and the character. And it's like, you don't seem that excited about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's an, But that's the thing. It's like, oh, I mean, I, I guess I buy that, you know. Right. Because I don't know what the other explanation would be. Right. Dude just digs a fucking tractor movie. <laughs> Fine. You know, it's so to sort of add more on what I was saying earlier about his just expressionistic approach yeah. to making movies is like he was... um. I watched this interview of him when I was doing work for this project and it was right after the straight story had come out. Yeah. Right. And you know, Lynch has been historically cagey in interviews and not mm-hmm. wanting to talk about his films. Yeah, Certainly not talking about like justifying or explaining them. Right. So baller. Right. So baller. Right. <laughs> but this guy was like, is not going to like let him up. Right. This was Mark cousins. Was it just, incredibly annoying um i think he's scottish yeah uh film critic but anyways he's just like not letting him off the hook and asking him to like explain why this why did you do this why put the camera here and he's just really just trying to get an answer yeah and he's just like it feels right yeah like he's just very simply like fucking hell yeah dude it feels right that it it sucks that that's not acceptable to some people a lot of people well because i think of, of most filmmakers i think either are working intellectually or are pretending to. Uh-huh. And so it's very rare that I think you find someone who's like competent and confident enough in them to like completely like base their creative decisions off of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting. He pushes him a little bit more and asking about like why this here and not this. And then he's talking about objects as if they're numbers. Okay. And so you can start to maybe I think under you get this glimpse that like I think he doesn't want you to have right. in this interview about how he constructs images so he's like, like his version of synesthesia almost that, right like, yeah he's like this person a person is like a seven uh-huh. right and then i forget what he's like this tractor in, in new york she's a four <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's or, what he's or, saying or whatever people he's say like, a little saint james she would be like a three yeah she would be three years old yeah <laughs> but no he, he's 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 assigning numbers to different objects and things and sounds and you can see that that's how he's working out how images and scenes work together in his head. Yeah. Which is like, sounds so autistic, but also right. like, okay. Autouristic. Autouristic, yeah. You're thinking of. <laughs> yes. But it's like, okay, that's how he's constructs images. And that's probably why he doesn't want to justify them when people ask him why you do this. Yeah. Because he's just saying, yeah, that uh-huh. fan in the corner, that's, that's a two. Interesting. And so you put the other two oh, wow. on the yeah. other end of the corner, this mm-hmm. lamp, and then a seven is good here because a three of the rug would be too much. So we take the rug out. Wow. And it's like, yeah, actually, you know what? Don't talk about it. This is sounds nuts. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah. Interesting. 
I, I've never, I've never heard that before, but that, yeah. that makes a it lot was, of sense. It was the first time I'd ever heard that. And numbers play, you know, a huge role in, in his films, but then like you're watching that and you're like, okay, I guess this is how he puts this together. And no wonder he doesn't want to talk about it. It sounds so fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take away from the films. Right. You know, that's just how it just doesn't he necessarily them. add anything. Right. Really. <laughs> yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. That's, um, I, I don't think he did it anymore. Actually, I take back everything. Okay, I said. yeah, that's that's that did it. <clears throat> no, honestly, like, um, that could on you. you he could, signed the Polanski letter. Well, yeah, who <laughs> fucking didn't at this <laughs> right. point? Like, I feel like every single time I Google a, a film person, they sign that letter, which I still don't understand. Right. But um, <laughs> it's really just a letter being like, yeah, I stand with him. You like Rosemary's <laughs> Baby that fucking much, really? Like I, I to this day I don't under, like it doesn't make sense to me. I know we got right. into this a little bit with Casey, but like, why, man? Just let Polanski. Like it's, he's. It's not like he's in jail right. in Paris. <laughs> he's living fine. He's like he just can't come to your fucking parties, well, and what, that's what you're so heartbroken <laughs> what's about. Funny in too, LA. Like, none of them are like, yeah, he didn't do it. It's just like I think he served his time. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's weird. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, also, if, if anybody has anything they want to see covered on David Lynch, like we're certainly open to that as well. There's a lot to yeah. talk about. This is going to be a recurring theme. There will be more videos on the David Lynch Foundation and TM um, coming soon. But yeah, we can put a plug in that for now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I t- so the thing about... Uh, Enemy of the State that I liked. Yeah. This is a movie I watched this afternoon. Was um I, I love in movies when they're in the like the deep state complex in the NSA or whatever. Uh-huh. There's always like a hacker guy who's so good at his job, he's allowed to wear his goofy hacker clothes. <laughs> you know? Like he gets to wear his like Aloha shirt yeah. and his spiked up gel hair, you know, because he's so good at hacking that the buttoned up suits at at the at in Langley somewhere. Like he he yeah. dress code does not apply to right. him. Right. Yeah. And like that's that's even like transcontinental too. Like in what's it in Die Another Day or something with the Russian guy? Oh, it's in Goldeneye. Is it Goldeneye? Yeah. What's that guy's name? Is it Benny? I don't know. What's the actor's name? I don't know. He's he's in stuff. Oh, I don't recognize him. That's the only one I know him in. Oh, I feel like he's a I, he, I can only picture his man. shirt actually. Well, yeah, I but can he, only picture he's his got shirt. shitty teeth too, and like oh, okay. Because he's trying he's, to like British. He's hitting. He's trying to fuck the other girl at the at the Russian evil factory or whatever right. it is. Yeah, uh, I can picture his shirt and I can picture his like the, fucking like low res model from the Golden Eye game. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But um, I I always even ever since I was a kid, I was like I'd want to be that the Seth Green style character. Definitely in in those movies. Yeah. Um, because he's hacking with one hand too, because he's flicking his pen in the other one. Right, really yeah. Cool he's, there's always a sort of fidgety toy. Yeah. Um, and he's always talking about what he wants to eat for lunch or whatever. Um, Jack Black's in that movie too is another kind of hacker type, which is interesting. Uh, real ensemble cast. Yeah. Tony Scott, we like him. But uh-huh. uh, um, I, I've I've been telling you to watch that for a minute because there's something. Oh really? I think very peculiar about the politics of Enemy of the State. Okay. In that. You know, like they really, the movie's not so explicitly, but th- there is sort of like a, a scary, like like the NSA is like a scary antagonist, right? Yeah. And, but they had like open access, like N- NSA was like, yeah, we're cool with this. You can come film. It's one of the few films to film at NSA headquarters. Oh, really? Yeah. No shit. And doors were fucking wide open. Like, hmm. come on in. 
Um, there's some behind the scenes stuff where Will Smith is talking about how all of the technology in the film, he says like guys at NSA would tell me that like, yeah, we've had all of this 10 years ago. Oh really? Okay. Right. Which is nuts. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it does play out like a techno, like, like a demo almost because yes. they're always triangulating something or like they always have a model of whatever building he's in running around. And like, yeah, it's, it, it, it is almost, there's like a showing off. We're proud of the tech, like the, yes. the, the ability to bug the guy's fucking shoes and all that shit, you know? Yes. And um, that's, that's sort of, you know, people who are like really into, you know, researching particularly like state relationships with the film community have, the general consensus is that the NSA was like, we need to prime people yeah. for, you know, essentially what our apparatus is and can do. Mm-hmm. And so let's prime them with this film. Right. It's sort of the idea, which I think yeah. is very interesting. No, it, it, it makes like, sense. And my girlfriend <laughs> kept pointing out the whole time that like this was all before 9-11. Yeah. It, much less, you know, the Snowden stuff, too. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think that idea of like a... a frankly a limited hangout of like uh-huh. all right well we got to pull the curtain back to make sure nobody's worried about something being behind a curtain uh-huh. um and then you know always in these movies like they go back to the kind of like rotten egg theory or, or rotten apple um where there's like a guy who's who's doing the bad things and, and abusing mm-hmm. what is at the end of the day a very noble uh and freedom protecting uh agency and also yeah the checks and balances in, in place are very healthy and with regards to, you know, con- some, there's always a senator in Congress who's trying to do things by the book and shine a light. And, oh, yeah, the free press in America and CNN, they're going to fucking peel some layers back to themselves. So there's yeah. nothing to worry about at the end of the day. Um, but. So, you know how he's got that that blender that he's really fixated on? Oh, yeah. It's just, not even a Vitamix, dude. <laughs> well, Alex Ross Perry has used that as a sort of. um a, a term for writers inserting things when they don't know how to like write their character. Okay. He calls it the blender from that movie. Yes. From that movie. Oh, really? It's like when the, the writers will apply a certain like fixation or external thing because they don't have anything for the character. That's interesting hmm. to do. So like Will Smith is just like, cause this, the blender is like reoccurring, right? It's been a while since I've seen yeah, it. Yeah. Right. Cause like eventually they, so yeah, the, 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 they stage a kind of ransacking of his house because uh-huh. they want to get his, the disc, the, the compromise, right. you know, and in the process of, of, of that, one of the NSA goons, just this thick necked fucking freak <laughs> grabs this, bl- the guy's blender and then absconds with it. And, um, later on they're in the van, the NSA van and the guys who's been drinking orange juice the whole time. Like he just, there's a shot to the blender and it's full of a smoothie or whatever. And he's like, Oh, you yeah. took the blender. So, yeah, it is. But that's interesting, I guess. Yeah. I don't really, I don't necessarily think of Will Smith's character in that movie as like underdeveloped though. Mm-hmm. We need. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if, if that's maybe like the best example, but it's been like where he's pulled that term from. Yeah. And it's something that I've started to like, just put in the back of my head as I'm watching movies is like yeah. writers will throw in just like, yes, yeah, particularly let's throw in a prop here because I have nothing for this character. Mm hmm. Um, the, the evolution, yeah. the, the 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 logical conclusion of which was the dog and John Wick, basically, where that's just like <laughs> the barely justified reason for the whole gun shoot <laughs> movie to happen. Right. And you know what? Like we talked about it with ambulance in, I guess, now unreleased episode <laughs> that we decided we didn't want to put out. Um, 
you don't, who gives a shit? Like you're there to see a movie, you know? Right, so right. fucking, you know, you, you bought a ticket to sit and get your popcorn and see gun bombs. Tell you what, I bought a ticket to see a play yesterday. Oh, right, right, right. Let's <laughs> get into that. I was so bored. Um, and that's a shame. And like, I, I have gone like every, I don't you know go to a ton of theater, but I think every time I've gone, I've walked away and been like, wow, that was exciting. Yeah. Like it's gotten me particularly like, interested in, in in writing when mm-hmm. i when i walk out right this i remember so as i told you it was, yeah. it was a, a play of molly sweeney where one character at a time delivers a monologue God, to so the audience back <laughs> and i was like after the first monologue her light goes out and the stage light goes on i'm one of the other guys he starts doing his monologue and i realized like oh fuck i didn't listen to any of that oh what? this is the brian friel story okay i've read this guy's stuff Okay. Yeah. So he um he did this this play Faith Healer that actually Charlie turned me on to. And it's it is it is a very equally and I'll let you get back to your thing in a second here, but like this computer's it, a nice addition to the podcast, by the way. Oh, you know what? This is going what, what, what were we doing the other day where we were just reading articles? It was um Were we just hanging out? No, it was the Daily Wire story on Panic Room. Remember? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was pretty good. That All right, good. you know what? Say it now. We're just gonna fucking read shit now, now more often. Makes my job easier. You know what? We're gonna read "Program to Kill" with Nick next episode. <laughs> <laughs> All of it, and we'll take turns doing voices. It'll be great. Yeah, I gotta work on my Michael Aquino. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Brian Friel, he's um yeah he wrote a ton of plays just about like life being difficult in Ireland. You know, uh-huh. and like get get a, have a look at this guy first of all. Oh, this tiny picture. Yeah, with this tiny little picture. Oh, here. man. Yeah. If that ain't a fucking potato head. He is head. looking rough with it. <laughs> <laughs> he's still... Oh, no, he's dead. But, yeah, no, he's, it's he's funny dead. He's probably looked like that since he was, like, 32. That, exactly. <laughs> no, he, he probably got his driver's license, and that was a picture. Um, But, like, this play Faith Healer is about, like, this guy who... It, it's kind of like their, their, their road show... In, and they go from village to village, like pretending to be as this faith healer. And like, it's whether or not you believe in it or don't believe in it. And it's actually, I think it's a very compelling read. I have never seen it staged, but it is frankly just a lot of monologues, okay. um, which is boring. But, uh, and so I imagine like, so, okay, here's another thing about theater that I like is you have to talk about performances now because there ain't any other fucking shit to talk about. Right. So was, is that what bogged it down for you? You think? Yeah. And it just was like, well, here, here's the thing. So I, I went to see well, one of my good friends was in it. Right. Right. And let me tell you when he was his doing his monologues, I was watching. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, OK, I'm following this now. As soon as his light goes out and another one goes on, I was just I started thinking about TM. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, damn, OK, so we're going to go down to Fairfield, Iowa, Memorial Day, maybe spend the night there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to email them and say, hey, I used to be a TM follower. Now hey, I kind of lost Krishna, my way. Doing, Could yeah. I get a tour of the university? Like, just beside just, note, that's so funny that you're thinking about like- that. Manchurian candidate your way into yeah no I, I'm literally gonna say so yeah I suppose yeah, I, I haven't said this yet let's hold on pause <laughs> um, would you give the kind people a, a rundown of your plan yeah so I I um I paid to learn transcendental meditation like mm-hmm. almost 10 years ago now I remember we drove and, up to Evanston together I remember that yes and that was all that was like all the money I had yeah was so expensive, right? You're working at Potbelly. <laughs> yeah. It's $2,500 to join, to learn, right? And I had got them to get it down to like 800 in really? four payments. You yes. talked them down? 
Yes. That's impressive. Well, I told him, I was like, I can't do it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have, t- I've never had $2,500. Right. right. So I ended up talking him down to, I think, to like 800, maybe 1,000. And uh, yeah, it was worthless. Right. I think I realized pretty quickly, like, this. Yeah, this is worth. You're not <laughs> so, getting anything out of. I'm it. not getting anything out of this, At least and when it you wasn't your um, Kegels right, results. Right, and not long after that, I saw the the trailer for the David Steve King movie, and I was like, "Oh, this is horseshit." Uh-huh. And so, yeah, with you know my name still being in their database, I'm gonna I'm gonna email the university in Fairfield and be like, "Hey, you know, I've kind of lost my way. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to you know come down and see the university. I'm thinking about enrolling. Me and my girlfriend are gonna come down. You know, I'm trying to." Mm-hmm. Trying to show her also. Yeah. And um wonder if we could just get a tour. You know, like <laughs> I I just I'm really lost right now. I mean, they that's gotta they'll do it, right? Absolutely. Like that's that's fucking music to their ear. Unless they listen to this podcast, oh yeah, they're gonna do it. Yeah. Well, we didn't think of that shit. So cause like it's I mean, there's there's no way they're they're not going to like take me at face value. Part part of like well, I'll save that, but like I yeah, I want to get around and just like look at it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to go there with, with the idea of like adding it to the project right. that I'm working on, uh-huh. but rather just like, hey, we're taking a vacation, you know, a little drive, and this is going to be so funny. We've heard a lot about your plans for much we can see. Yes. We want in. Yes. I would love, I would love world peace. Yeah. Damn. That's going to be so sick. Wait, can't wait for that. Um, I'll be posting it on the story the whole way out. That's going to be great. I mean, I mean, they probably like pictures, right? Probably. Tell, they'll probably tell you to put shit on social. Yeah, they probably won't let me take pictures if we try and go to the indentured servitude compound where they have a bunch of so, Indian people who have... Pardon my ignorance here for a minute. But when you say indentured servitude compound... Yeah. To me, it sounds like a, a, a building or series of buildings in which people are uh, kind of coerced to work in order to yeah. survive. That's about what it is. Is that the long short Except of it? Except the work is... Ushering in world peace. Well, that doesn't like, sound so bad. When you, you know, put it that I, I way, I was concerned a minute ago. I'm not anymore. I have not seen any evidence that they're doing manual labor, mm-hmm. right? Emotional labor. Emotional labor. Yeah. <laughs> David Lynch comes in. He's like, "Oh, I'm exhausted." Yeah. And but they they, <laughs> they all want to say, "I'm sorry, I'm at capacity right now. Thank you for reaching out." But they can't. They can't do that. They can't. No, no. <laughs> so they they get a lot of people from India to come in, right? And they pay them two hundred dollars a month. I'm sorry, I'm not done laughing at my own joke. <laughs> They, Just be glad we got off the Elizabeth Warren tweet. I mean, yeah, right. I recovered from that one. Anyway, gone. They they pay them two hundred dollars a month, um, which most of them, as I understand it, send about one hundred and fifty back. Christ. So they have fifty dollars a month where they live inside this fenced in compound. Yeah. Where they are meditating mm-hmm. at long intervals using quote unquote advanced techniques. Right. The idea being that because we have all of these advanced meditators together in a place doing this consistently mm-hmm. that is having a positive effect. Right. Damn. So it's like a meditation sweatshop, a vibe sweatshop. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's Damn. weird. That's like, it's like, there's, there's not a whole lot of info on this. And so I'm, I've been trying to like dig up more. Like the that's best really info, interesting. Yeah. yeah. The best info I've seen on it is one from that David Steve King documentary where he tries to go uh-huh. in and they're just like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> right? Damn. Cause it is just a, it's a fenced in compound. Right. Wow. And also there is a local news story from Fairfield, Iowa in the early 2000s where um, there was like a small um, like protest 
mm-hmm. amongst the people who were staying there. Yeah. Um, apparently, like, wanted to leave. Or no, really? one of their members got kicked out. No shit. Was kicked out. And there was a small protest of, like, 50 people. Eventually, they called mm-hmm. the Fairfield Sheriff's in, which, as I understand, there's sort of a a distance in municipal- municipalities between the two. Yeah. But they were like, fuck, we need to get a sheriff in here. Right? Wow. And these guys were just starting hucking rocks at the sheriff. It was the beginning of Far Cry 5. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it was a game we played at the beginning of Pandemic. Yeah. We'll, we'll push past that. It's not, not here to talk about video games. <laughs> anyway, my fault breaking well, it up. Basically, just throwing rocks at the sheriff's car until he left. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> we used to be a proper country. <laughs> we used to be a country. All right, bring us home. So, the yeah, so that that's... That's our us freewheeling it. Yeah. Um. What, what are we? What, eight episodes in now. Is that it? Yeah, I guess so. So yeah, shoot us. Uh, shoot us a message. Yeah, we want to hear us, about what people what like, what people don't like, what people want to. But to be clear, only positive feedback. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want you to, you know, keep it to your fucking self. But, yeah. Um, you know, if you're, you know, we, we're still figuring this out. So you know, let us know. It's still a lot good. more work than we thought it was gonna be. Uh, yeah, w- we're w- working w- on that. Winging it, not so bad. I don't think. Yeah, seven point five episodes in. Um, um, but yeah, next week we will have uh, Nick Fisotsky on to talk about cuties. Are we doing it next week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>